Hey, welcome. So good to be together in worship. As David mentioned, today we are concluding. This is the final week in our Overflow teaching series, where over the last four weeks, uh, we've been unpacking and teaching on what it means to live generously and to give generously of ourselves, of our time, our talents, our resources, and all these different things. And we're gonna, we are going to do things a little bit differently. So if you've missed any of the previous weeks, can I just encourage you to go back and have a listen online. You can go back and find it on, find it on our podcast. You can find it on our website. Have a listen through the last three weeks. I uh, really encourage you to do so because we started at the beginning of the series, just to recap briefly, by looking at Jesus' words, the very first week where Jesus says, it is better to give than it is to receive or more blessed is actually the language. You're more blessed to give than you are to receive. Jesus' words, not mine. And if we actually believe that, then we would, uh, basically that message unpacked three mindset shifts or heart shifts that we needed to move and grow through in order to experience that truth and that reality in our lives. The second week, we talked about how generosity actually changes our lives and in, a, in an overflowing way. And we unpacked some of the ways that generosity overflows, where we experience the overflowing sense of peace and of joy and purpose and, and ultimately an overflowing sense of the closeness of God when we give generously in response to all that He has given to us. And then last week, we looked at the transition from, you know, Paul's ministry where he went from Saul to Paul, but really the focus was on the guy named Barnabas, who was previously named as Joseph, became Barnabas, son of encouragement. We talked about and unpacked how generosity and encouragement so often pave the way or open the way for God's grace to move in people's lives. Uh, Generosity and encouragement open the way for grace. And we talked about grace being God's riches at Christ's expense. So if you missed any of that, you can hear the full teachings online, like I said, podcast or, or on the website encourage you to do so. But maybe you've journeyed through the last three weeks and you've, you know, you've been encouraged and you've been inspired and you go, man, I just have this growing sense inside of me like, man, I, I want to do so much more with my life. Like, I really believe that God's entrusted me with certain things that He wants to use from my life in order to both be a blessing to me, but ultimately be a blessing to others, that He wants to do that in me and through me. But so often we kind of get into this place of feeling a bit stuck and we go, oh, why isn't it happening? And why isn't God moving? And why isn't God using me? And, and life just gets in the way, right? We get into a routine. We, got, we kind of just get into the motions and wonder, where is God and why isn't He using me in a more significant way? Anyone ever feel like this? And today what I want to do is I want to show you a portion of a really powerful parable, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 25, because Jesus was speaking here to the righteous ones, it says, and those who had served others. And he said to them, take your inheritance, take your reward. And Jesus says this, he says in Matthew 25, I'm going to start reading in verse 35. He said, Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, the king being Jesus, the king will reply saying, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. Whatever you do to serve other people, to give to other people, Jesus says you're doing it unto Him. You're doing it to Him and you're doing it for Him. And today we're going to do something different, like David said, the, this final week in the teaching series. And I'm going to introduce you to four different people from the life of our church. Four different people who lead and minister and serve in variety of different ways and capacities around here. Uh, but from, from each of them, and each of them are going to share stories from their own experience, stories of giving, some of receiving, and all the different ways that God has shown up to make a difference, to make an impact in the lives of others. And my hope and prayer is that through this, it will help you see what a difference you can make, what a difference God wants to make through your life, that when you serve someone, you're not just serving a person, you're actually serving Jesus himself. And when we serve Jesus, he adds this supernatural increase that makes profound difference. And hopefully these stories will convince you of this principle, if you like, that we kind of extract from Matthew 25, that if you want momentary happiness, serve yourself. But if you want lasting fulfillment, serve someone else. If you want momentary happiness, serve yourself. If you want lasting fulfillment, serve someone else. So today we're talking about serving and giving and the impact that that has made in our own lives and in the lives of others. And the first person I want to introduce you to this morning is Dawn Stringer. You might recognize Dawn. She's brought the message on a number of occasions with us here. Dawn and her husband, John, have been part of our church for a good number of years now and uh, have done all, served in prayer ministry, have done some prayer ministry training and uh, been, been active and just a wonderful, wonderful gift in the life of our church. So come on, church. Why don't you help me welcome Welcome, Dawn, to come and share this morning. There we go. It's great to be here. <laughs> and, and really is, because when Clint uh, asked me the other day to, uh, if I would do this, I'm always keen to get up here and talk about how wonderful God is. So uh, thanks for giving me that opportunity. I've known God for 50 years. And so I've had many opportunities to experience his generosity and his provision and his grace. That um, life of giving and receiving it's, it's a flow, really. It's God's people living in God's kingdom. So we give, but we receive as well. And it's been such a privilege to, um, to have 50 years of experiencing that. Um, my, one of my first experiences of how this works was I hadn't been a Christian for very long, and it was Christmas Eve. And I was on my way to the supermarket and I had $10 in my purse and it was the last $10 that I had uh, and I wasn't going to be paid for another few weeks. So I approached the supermarket and there was a lady, a Salvation Army lady with a collection box and I just felt God saying, put your $10 in there. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, that's my last $10. But I did, I put it in the box so the next day, Christmas Day, opening the gifts, there was an envelope, opened the envelope, was a check for $1,000. I 
I'm not saying this is a way of life that you should do this, but it just opened my eyes to the way that God can work. Another quite startling uh, experience that we had was when we were, John and I were in Blenheim, uh, I, I was the sole, way, well, was the main wage earner. I had a full-time job. And, but John just had some casual work uh, for a friend doing some agricultural work. And so we had a mortgage, so we were relying on my salary. But then one time we had a friend staying with us, and he looked at me and said, what do you really want to do? And I said, well, I'd really like to continue my Bible college studies because I know that God has called me to be a preacher and a teacher, and I want to continue that. So he said, what are you going to do about it? So I did. I resigned from my job, and so our income plummeted. And um, we managed somehow, but then a couple of months later, John was checking our bank balance on the internet, and he said, you know, we've actually got more money in the bank now than we had when you were working. That just made no sense whatsoever. And so I carried on with my Bible college studies, and they're not cheap. Um, but at the time, the Bishop of Nelson, uh, Derek Eaton, he put me forward for um, scholarships from St. John's College in Auckland, and they paid every single one of my Bible college courses from that time to the end of it. Thousands of dollars worth there. And another thing that we do, and we're talking about not just money, but, but using our gifts and using what God's given us. John, not so much now, but when we lived in bigger houses, we would always put our hand up to billet people who were coming to stay or speak at the church. But we were so incredibly blessed. We met so many wonderful people over the years. We were the ones who were blessed. Um, and so whenever, and we've, you've said this over and over, Clint, that whenever we are generous, we are the ones who are actually blessed. Another startling one, and I have mentioned that here, is that one time we were given anonymously an envelope stuffed with money, $6,000, and it enabled us to take our first trip to Israel. And then we took another three subsequent trips to Israel, all of which we couldn't possibly have done. You know what it's like to, to fund plane trips overseas. But, but we did it. And, and somehow we just do it. God just somehow um, does it. We never ask for money for anything that we do. Um, so we work on the principle of tithes and offerings, we always regularly make sure that we've got our tithing uh, under, to do that properly. We, we give to five different organizations each month. But on top of that, we're always open to seeing needs and sponsoring people, providing, giving money to wherever we think. And that's our offerings on top of our tithes. And we, we just do that. We, we do that without thinking 
and without thinking about the consequences. And I believe that that's how God wants us to be. He wants us to be generous people, not just instances of generosity. He wants us to be generous people who just do it. And it's kingdom people living in his kingdom and being his children. One time we gave, we saw that a lady in our congregation on the West Coast was struggling. So we said to her, we can loan you some money. We'll loan you a couple of thousand dollars. So we did that. But then after a while, we, we sat uncomfortably with that, actually, because we were thinking, we felt that God was saying, no, don't lend her the money, give her the money. And so we told her, that we didn't need it to be repaid. She just kept, and she was just so thankful and grateful. So it's a question of trust. It's a question of do we trust God with everything about our life, about our money, our gifts, our resources, the things that we do of ourselves. Do we actually trust God? And I've had 50 years of, we often sing, God, you'll never, we sang it this morning, uh, you'll never let me down. You've never let me down and you're never going to let me down. And if we put our trust in God, he is just so incredibly faithful. Um, so thank you for letting me share that, Clint. Thank you, Dawn. Amazing. Isn't that great? I love that. I love the way you said that this is just what we do. It's just who we are and that God is wanting to shape and form each of us as His people. I love the way you said it, Dawn, to be generous people, not just showing up in a few moments of generosity, in a few instances of generosity, that this becomes so pervasive of who we are, it becomes second nature. Beautiful. Thank you, Dawn. Next up, I want to introduce you to, this is Marcel Vickers. Uh, If you've not met Marcel, you're about to, and you'll be (laughs) grateful for it. Marcel is married to Sarah. Sarah, unfortunately, unable to be here. She's unwell today. So uh, Sarah, Marcel and Sarah have been part of our church for a couple of years now. Marcel uh, loves the Word of God, loves to help unpack and teach the Word of God for other people and also works... Um, Compassion Trust. Compassion yep. Trust, that's right. Service. Helping people with their budgets and yep. finances and whatnot. So why don't you help me w- welcome Marcel. Thanks, Clint. Um, yeah, Sarah and I... Uh, Sarah, unfortunately, has got a cold, so she's not here. But uh, we became Christians um, about 25 years ago when we were in our mid-20s. I'll let you do the calculations there. Um, I was one of those, I was actually an atheist, and I was one of those annoying converts uh, to athe- from atheism uh, who was like so into it, got, kind of took it a bit too seriously, if you can, um, but... Kind of wanted to tick all the boxes and do all the right things. Um, and I think over the years, hopefully I'm not so legalistic now, but I think some of the things I started doing then have held me in kind of good stead. And one of those things, obviously, is giving. Um, and over the years, both Sarah and I have tried to give what we can. Uh, we've, you know, there's sometimes when, and I think you will all know this, there's sometimes when you have lots of time and not so much money. And then there's times when you have more money and less time. And then you have children and you have very little of either. Um, But it's about realistically thinking, what is it I can give? Maybe it's time, maybe it's money. Um, Yeah, it's just about being realistic. 
we uh, have always tried to give to church. We've uh, also tried to give to missions work and um, sometimes charities as well. One of the things we give to right now is, uh, I think they're called Marine Reach, and they're basically doctors and nurses, medical people. Um, you can tell I'm not one. Uh, but doctors, basically, they go into, on these boats into remote communities in the uh, Pacific Islands and give medical care to people who wouldn't otherwise have it, medical care that we kind of take for granted. Um, and we think that's kind of a way of uh, preaching the gospel with words, uh, with actions and not just words. We, um, we've always, we've probably had, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny talking about money because it's not like I feel like I've ever had that much to give away. But um, we prayed once because we didn't have enough money um, and that often seems to be the way. But we prayed once for a seven-seater because we have three kids and we wanted to transport them around, maybe with a friend and maybe with some bags as well. Um, we didn't feel like we wanted to leave one behind because we didn't have the room. So, so we prayed for a seven-seater and we saw this uh, Mazda Premacy that was like perfect, but we just didn't have the money for it. Uh, prayed about it and then got a call like within 24 hours. A relative was like, oh, I want to give you X thousand or whatever it was. And it was almost to the cent exactly the price of the car that we wanted to get so obviously we got it and I could give a long list of things like that um, but I think over the years if, if I was to figure it out it'd be like thousands of dollars and they've come from different random sources but we've always felt like God has instigated all of the stuff that's come our way I've not counted it but I reckon it's getting on for as much as we've actually given um, to people to God coming back to us and that's amazing, really, when you think about it. But it's also not the point I kind of want to... Um, the point, really, because... And I hope you don't take it... <clears throat> sorry. I hope you don't take this as boasting, because it's not. I mean, we've given, yeah, but to be honest, there's, I started off giving because it was kind of a legalistic thing. Um, and then there's been try times when I've struggled to give. That's me, not Sarah. She's always been quite good at it. Me, less so. Um, and then there's been times when my faith has been not much more than an, a kind of a, like a little burning ember just holding on. Um, and then there's times when I felt like that, you know, the older brother in the uh, prodigal son parable, where he comes, he comes to God and says, hey, I've been slaving all these years or giving all these years um, and never got anything in return. What's happening here? Um, or forgetting about the times that God has obviously given me stuff, but that's what we do. Um, and each time, God has said to me what he said to the older brother in the parable, and that is that I am always with you, and everything I have is already yours. And that's so worth remembering that everything God has is also ours. He shares it with us. It's taken me a long time to learn this, and I think back to when I was younger, I used to hear, you know, sermons on giving and that kind of thing, and I'd kind of take it as a challenge or a rebuke. Um, you know, the Bible kind of says, you've got to give, so therefore I'll give. Okay, tick that box. Um, but over the years, it's been revealed to me that it's not about ticking a box. It's about having a relationship with God, a relationship with a God who owns everything, 
that shares it with me. So now when, you know, I hear like Matthew 25, I hear those verses and I think, wow, this is, this is actually about a relationship with God. That's, what are the, that's at the heart of these verses. It's not transactional. You know, we don't give. We don't give to earn our salvation. We don't give to like get something back, although that does happen. And we don't give, definitely don't give to tick a box. It's relational. It's Jesus we're talking about. So I think, um, you know, like the, the seven seeder, that's a time when God blessed us through others. And hopefully there's been times through our giving when God has used us to bless other people. In Genesis 1.27, it says that we're all made in God's image. So I think that's why in Matthew 25, the king, who's obviously Jesus, can say, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. It's relational. So when we give, especially to even, uh, you know, one of the least of these, we're giving to someone made in the image of God. And that means, in a way, we're giving to God himself. And when we share we're sharing what's already been shared with us. And I think that's why we can't outgive God. It's not some kind of transactional rule written into the universe, although maybe it is, but it's because it's Jesus. It's because it's Jesus. It's because Jesus loves us. And if I've learned anything over the 25 years I've been a Christian, is that we can trust Jesus completely. So good. Thank you, Marcel. Oh, isn't that good? I love that reminder of linking relationship with trust. Yes, it's Jesus, but the more we know Jesus, the more we know the character and the nature of God's heart. He loves to give good gifts to his children. That's the heart of God, right? The more we know that truly out of relationship, then the, the more natural, I think, and, and easily it flows into a life of generosity, a life of trust, really, beyond generosity, a life of trust in Jesus. So, uh, Next up, we're going to hear from Jenny Sinclair. Some of you will know Jenny. Jenny, uh, this morning, she said, this is crazy stepping up to uh, share as part of the sermon, Clint. Five years ago, I don't think I'd even want to be in a church, let alone be speaking in front of a church. True story, true story. True story. Uh, so Jenny uh, actually came to faith through Alpha here at the well, was baptized uh, and now Jenny and Andrew, husband, Andrew, lead Alpha, that's his name. And uh, so we're thrilled to have uh, Jenny come and share. Why don't you welcome Jenny? It was interesting this morning, we were sort of reflecting and I couldn't decide whether it was me or Clint who was more nervous about me standing up here. I'm a bit of a loose cannon, guys, get ready. Um, <laughs> sorry. This one's not being filmed, so I'm a little <laughs> Oh, no, he says. Um, no, so when he asked me to do this, I was sort of praying through some scriptures, and I came to one that was um, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Um, so I've actually, I've always been a generous gift giver. I love going shopping and finding the perfect present for someone. Um, and I've also been quite 
keen to open presents that have been gifted to me also. I love opening a parcel. Um, But to receive the gift of time or support in any form almost felt to me like an act of defeat, like I hadn't been able to do it myself. Uh, When our children were born, both of them, like two years apart on both occasions, it was really, really hard. Um, We isolated ourselves and we were fiercely independent and proud of it. Like, we don't need anybody. Um, But the reality was that I was depressed and we both really, really needed help. We got through it with medication and sheer willpower. Soon after that, we came to know Jesus and were introduced to the world of Christian community. Um, We soon realized that the generosity of time, energy, and fellowship was what we had been missing, and we immersed ourselves in the community. It was a slow process for me. It was very unfamiliar territory. I fully opened myself up to God's grace in a time of incredible weakness. It was a time of complete reliance on the work of the Holy Spirit. So two years ago, my beautiful daughter Sophie, who's sitting right there, suffered from a brain um, bleed, which resulted in... um, She's sitting right there, so it's a bit more (laughs) unsettling for me. Um, Which resulted in a stay in intensive care and emergency brain surgery. It came completely out of the blue, and it came hot on the heels of an amazing spiritual experience at Easter camp. It was a really scary time for all of us. But for me, I had to tap into some supernatural strength. The willpower that I had previously relied on just wasn't going to cut it. It, was, it occurred during a time when they were limiting numbers in hospital. Uh, it was during COVID times. And Andrew actually had, had a cold, so they had discouraged him from coming in. So... Um, during the initial period of testing and not knowing what was going on, I was completely alone with my little girl. (laughs) Sorry, I just wouldn't wake up. Without the grace of God, this could have been a very, very dark place. This is when God revealed his grace to me through the generosity of others. Anything I needed, someone helped. Pastor David came in to deliver me dinner. It was quite cute, actually. He was a bit panicked about what I did and didn't like to eat, so he just bought, like, piles of food. Um, and he came in at a time when the room was filled with doctors and nurses basically trying to figure things out, and they automatically assumed that he was my husband. We very quickly corrected them. Um, but after that all left, he then prayed over Sophie. Um, which was such a comfort. And I had never been comforted by prayer before. This was so unfamiliar to me. Um, But it was in this moment that I put aside all my inhibitions and I welcomed the Holy Spirit into the space. I needed my girl to get through this. Um, Our whole stay in hospital, the generosity of others helped us to sense God's grace and God's presence in our time of weakness. People were generous with time, with prayer, with food, messages, and so much more. Busy doctors, of which this church has many, um, came in and saw us on their, on their breaks. Um, and their mere presence just boosted our spirits. I remember sitting in ICU, and there was this little gap outside the door, and I saw this absolutely beautiful beaming face. And I can see it right now. Isaac Beck came in, and by crikey, if you haven't seen that guy's smile, it's a winner. 
And it was exactly the thing I needed at that particular moment. So it wasn't about money or anything like that. It was just a smile at the right moment. The overflow of generosity from our community opened our family up to receive God's grace. It was something that I had not previously been open to or familiar with. It helped us to maintain a positive outlook and provided physical, emotional, and spiritual sustenance for all of us. So I encourage you, church, even if you don't have time, you don't have money, a smile or a message can do so much good. Thank you, Jenny. And for the record, I was not nervous at all. I had full confidence in you. (laughs) So good. Thank you for sharing. And I hope you hear echoing through Jenny's story that what we do to others, it's like we do to Jesus. And he adds a supernatural increase. I haven't checked this with David, but I'm guessing, David, when you brought food, that didn't feel like some supernatural thing when you prayed prayers it was it was not just offering nice words of comfort you know like Jesus inhabits those things and adds a supernatural increase this is the way God works in the world this is the way God works through all of us so thank you for sharing Jenny next up we're going to hear from Marcus Marcus Shaw is one of our servant leaders around here which means he sits in that uh, spiritual oversight governance uh, space alongside a few others of us and Um, Marcus has obviously been part of our church for a long time with his wife Chelsea and children. Um, Thrilled to have Marcus come and share. He's also a business coach. So just to suitably prepare you, you're about to get coached up, all right? Um, But it's good and it'll be worth it. So why don't you help me welcome Marcus? He's not kidding. Uh, 2010 December, I pulled out a Motorola flip phone and excitedly called my brother, Geordie, and told him that I'd got my first job. I'd exchanged a $57,000 loan for a $53,000 salary, and I was pretty excited about life. The company that I joined was Orcom Electronics, and it's not the cool Orcom that you're thinking of with the black and white logo, the internet service provider. It's very uncool. We shipped industrial electronics to countries like Turkey. And woohoo, yeah. (laughs) That's what I quickly realized as all my theoretical marketing knowledge was dashed with our $15,000 marketing budget. (laughs) Yeah. So the company was started by Ray Archer and his, his business partner Mark in their garage. And Ray was still involved in the company when I joined. He was a short man with a very big toothy grin. And he was always immaculately dressed. And he just loved people. And his paunch reflected the fact he enjoyed his red wine and his food and fellowship. And one of the things that Ray used to do every Wednesday, despite driving an Aston Martin and leading this this 140 staff uh, business, he would empty personally, come around and empty every single person's bins. And he would pour the drinks, whether you would like one or not, he would just pour you one. And he just, he gave out of this, this spirit and it was out of that same spirit that he decided that every person in the company should have a sponsor child. And so all 140 staff within the business had a sponsor child and were also given... Uh, 
an hour every quarter to write to their sponsor child. And it was out of this generosity that uh, Ray sent me to go to India uh, at, to build relationship with the World Vision office there. And whilst I was there, it was, it was a confronting experience. Uh, we, we, we met with, I remember on the first day we were there, aside from the, the wildlife running down the roads, which was pretty exciting, uh, we met with two, two 12-year-old boys. And I remember asking the representative from World Vision, how old were, are these boys? And she said, 12. And I was like, 12? They look like they're five. And because they were so nutrient deficient, their parents had passed, passed away from AIDS and they were, they were suffering. But more than anything, the thing that struck me uh, during the trip was, was the transformative power of aid, of help. And on the last day, we, we met with this couple, two elder, an elderly couple. They invited me to their, into their house and we drank buffalo milk together, which tastes about as good as it sounds. <laughs> and, and I asked her how life was and she just grinned from ear to ear. She was so excited uh, to tell us about this little gift that she had been accessed, she'd accessed through World Vision, which was a simple little trolley with two wheels and a blue frame that she used every day to take gross, uh, vegetables from her garden to the to the local uh, town centre to, to sell, and that that little one item had given the twenty you know twenty New Zealand dollars had had given her uh, the ability to provide for not just her her and her husband but the grandkids that had been orphaned uh, that were under her care. And when I was reading this this scripture, and I was thinking about what's what's the story about I've got in my mind? How do, how do I segue to the scripture? And I was, I was thinking about this, this story, and I wonder for many of us if we, if we go, oh, yeah, that's a good story for a guy like Ray, you know, for someone that has the means and someone that's a bit of an out-there character, a bit of a, you know, someone that operates at the end of the bell curve, so to speak. Maybe, maybe that's okay for him, but maybe... Isn't this, this scripture is not so relevant to me. Maybe that's okay if you live in a country with poverty like India, but mm, I'm, I'm not getting it. And when we read the scripture, that's exactly my first thought. I went, mm, I don't remember ever going into a prison. I don't remember ever seeing anyone naked on the street. Not in Christchurch, at least. I don't remember anyone needing water. We live on an aquifer. And yet when I think a little deeper, there's needs everywhere. And those needs are here now, whether you see them or whether you don't. And, and the Bible actually describes poor, the poor, as those lacking material goods and or social capital. The weak, the elderly, new immigrants, single parent families, victims of natural disasters, and those that are mentally or physically disabled. 
in New Zealand, 2.1 million of us are in the top 10% of global wealth holders. 2.1 million in a country of 5 million-ish. But 148,000 live in material hardship. That's lacking the essentials of life. 305,000 live in income poverty. That's 60% of the, the median wage. So do we really have to look that far? And when you read on in the scripture, the, the goats and the sheep actually say the same thing. The righteous replied, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty, give you something to drink? Or in stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when did we ever see you that's the righteous and then the unrighteous the the goats they say the same thing when did we ever see you lord when did we ever see you hungry and what really strikes me is that the difference isn't whether you see it or not it's whether you do something about it and so james in chapter 2 says the proper response for this gift of salvation that we're giving, given is action. Without that action, your faith is dead. And so, is it okay if we raise the challenge a little bit? Can I coach you for a bit? We're going to have a couple of questions pop up here. We'll just have the first one, please. So, as we reflect on this question... I think it's easy to think beyond, think of guys like Ray in countries like India, but let's think about what the need is amongst us right now, today. The needs that we're aware of, of, of individuals, the ones that, the names that come to mind, but also the groups, the, pe- the groups of people that come to mind. So who is in need that you're con- conscious of right now in this moment, as we're talking, as we're sitting here together in God's presence, His Holy Spirit is speaking. Next question. What resources do you have available to support those you have in mind? It's not just money. Some of us have time we can give. Some of us have specialist knowledge in particular areas that we can give. So what do you have that you can use to support those people in mind? And then the final question. What would a first step look feel, sound, or taste and smell like for you to begin living according to Jesus' words in Matthew 25. And if it's okay with you, any time I finish a session with a client, we always finish with commitments. We do that for two reasons. One, because that's the only way I get paid, is if my clients take action. But the other reason we finish with commitments is because otherwise we're just talking about ideas. It's just an intellectual exercise. They come and have a great chat and they leave and doing, doing absolutely nothing. It's not good for me or for them. And that's a little bit like what we're doing here, right? If you leave and do nothing, well then, as James says, your faith is dead. So all of you have a device, a cell phone, and maybe if you don't use a device, there's some pens on the back of a seat near you I would really love and I'm sure Jesus would love according to Matthew 25 
for you to commit to doing something out of this, not just the five minutes that I've had, but the four people that have, that have spoken today. So let's take 20 seconds, get a pen or a phone, and write down something that you will commit to doing in response to the words of Jesus, in response to this great gift of salvation that we have been given.